Welcome back to the Butcher One More podcast. Today, I'm joined with Mark Pelly, one of our special guests. Thank you for being on the show, Mark. It's great to have you here. Some of you know Thank him you, as, a, uh, as, a, as a Canadian musician, singer, songwriter, and record producer, but he's best known as being a guitarist and vocalist in the pop, pop reggae group Magic. And in addition to that, my man, you've done a lot of songwriting. Uh, you've paired off with many different artists, including J. Cole, Chris Brown, Trey Songs, and Shakira, just to name a few. Um, you definitely have had your hands in, in a lot of different work, and I just can't thank you enough for being on the show. And something I don't want to leave out is, uh, Charlie, thank you for getting Mark on the show today. You guys are like really good friends, and this is a, a Thanks, really cool honor to have you guys here. Bro, I, I seriously, like, I love you so much, and I look up Bro, to you. I love you, like, I think I told you at one point, I was like, you are my musical mentor, and you're like, oh, don't don't do that to me, man. But it's just because oh, you, on, you yeah, you're just, you're so undeniably good. And guys like me either want to quit because of people like you or we want to learn to be uh, like you. So thanks for- You're undeniably good yourself, pal. Oh, Come on. Stop it. About? Stop it. Well, you stop know, Charlie, it. I'd like to jump in on this as well, man. Tell you, man, the outro song that you made to the show, uh, there's just so many good things you've done uh, to this program, man. I just thank you enough. And, and a lot of that, that's all you, man. 100% you and your musical talent. So thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with Mark here. So Mark, all the way from Toronto, Canada joined us today, man. Here we're down here in sunny yes. Florida. And uh, you're up there in what I'm going to assume to be pretty cold- uh, Toronto right now. Well, you got there yesterday, oh, two days ago. It certainly is cold. Yeah, I just got here yesterday. I took a red eye flight. Um, I guess two days, two days ago, in the nighttime, and then I arrived here on, from, from LA around seven a.m. yesterday. So from LA, yeah, where you live, full time. Say it again, Charlie. You, you live in LA full LA? time. Yeah, I live in LA full time. Um, I also have a place in uh, Las Vegas that uh, I live in part of the year as well. Nice. Excellent. Well, yeah. well, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you today. And uh, I can't wait to kind of unpack some of the things that we talked about on the pre-show here. And, you know, I'm just going to get right to it. One of the things we were talking about earlier is that, you know, your musical um, background is is quite extensive. I mean, starting at the age of six with the keys and then kind of working into the guitar. And then you made your way into that, you know, the academia world in music as well, furthering your education through college at multiple institutions. And, uh, you know, you you don't often hear that in the musical background. And, uh, you know, I was wondering when we were talking, like, six years old, I don't think I would have uh, been inclined to get on a keyboard and start really learning that. What 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 made you gravitate? Is it in your family? Or is it just something that, uh, you know, you had a friend that you admired? Or what what kind of led you down that directional path? Um, I think I was uh, lucky because um, my parents actually forced me to... Uh, play and oh, practice okay. so, but maybe lucky is the wrong word because uh, <laughs> at the time i didn't see it that way but now I, I look at it uh you know favorably because uh i think that was helpful so yeah at six years old i didn't personally take the initiative of beginning the okay. process of practicing piano um you know obsessively all on my my own you know volition or whatever it was my my family just forced me to practice piano um but they were pretty um, insistent about it. And did it actually, have, did you have a certain so, curriculum? Yeah. I mean, um, in Canada, we have something that's called the Royal Conservatory of Music, RCM, and it's just like a classical method of learning piano. I don't mean to say this is the only way to learn how to play an instrument, of course. So there's many different paths you can take. That in particular was helpful for me, and I did work on it quite a bit. And uh, I do have a musical family that my uncle is a professional guitar player and my dad actually plays guitar too. He played in an Italian wedding band. And uh, so he, they taught me a lot of stuff and uh, I fully immersed myself in, in piano and guitar from a young age, but then also learned how to play drums and bass too. And I practiced a lot 
those instruments, singing live, all that stuff was helpful because um, I really kind of became obsessed about it all. You know, perhaps there were periods of time that it wasn't good because it caused certain mental health issues (laughs) to arise uh, because I was so connected. My self-worth, it continues to be to this day, my self-worth is entirely tied into um, music. So, you know, when things are going well, um, then I'm feeling great. If they're not, then I'm feeling not so good at all. Um, and I'm not talking about, uh, on, in the side of, uh, you know, um, winning with, with numbers or something like that. I just mean the intrinsic rewards of, uh, music practice and stuff. So, yeah, but, uh, I, I did do a lot of, uh, a lot of that growing up and, uh, I was lucky to have a lot of good situations. A lot of it was actually just playing with the right people and doing a music in multiple genres. So that was helpful too. Like I played in different bands of different styles of music was really helpful. Yeah. I noticed what you were just saying there is, um, you know, music seems to be one of those, um, echo chambers that we talk about where you release a song or you play a song for someone and like you're as a musician, I, you know, and, and by no means is that what I am, but I know that in the world that we're in right now, you, you, you're, thirst for someone's reaction, good, bad, or anything. And, you know, I know that uh, in the music world, when you put something out there, it's kind of one of those similar echo chambers you were talking about earlier that um, kind of messes with you a little bit. You know, you, you put something out there and the response either is or isn't, but it's just flat. You don't get anything. And I know that that, uh, yeah. that can be hard on you. Def, I mean, from that perspective, I, I can, I, I totally see what you're saying. And I've, I've definitely, I mean, I've had certain things that I've released with certain projects just have massive success, but then also on the other end of uh, the spectrum, I've also seen things not do very well at all. And uh, it's it's a tricky battle because it's, it's largely a mental battle and it's uh, something you... Musicians are constantly telling themselves, artists are telling themselves they're not doing it for the validation, right? Mm-hmm. They're not doing it for people's reaction but nevertheless even with that being um, this sort of philosophical outlook they're attempting to adopt it it does affect them pretty negatively when nobody cares about the music that they release because you put a lot of effort into it a lot of blood sweat and tears you care about it you you know you want to share it with the world if absolutely nobody cares to listen to it then of course it's going to have negative ramifications for you despite whatever um you've told yourself beforehand concerning you're not attached to the results of the release. You probably are because uh, if you're really not attached at all, then there's no point in releasing it. You might yeah. as well just keep it on your computer anyway and just share it for your, with your family and friends when they come over, Oh, listen to what I made. You know, <laughs> you don't need to actually create a release strategy and, and service it to the, uh, to the world globally. And so that it can appear on all the various streaming services and their countries, you know, none of that's necessary if you don't care about the, the results. So there's, there's a certain amount of validation that I do think people need. Um, for, for me, a lot of the stuff, the emotional up and down ride with music hasn't necessarily been so much tied into that. It's all, it's been tied into other stuff, but um, I did, that is a factor though, for sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So when would you say coming out of, uh, when coming out of college, you know, when did you start, you know, when did you start with your first band or was your first band magic that you were in? Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I, my first band, uh, I was 13. Okay. You know, and uh, we, we started playing and our band was called 
sovereign um, because we thought that was pretty cool, you know, but uh, we pronounced it incorrectly because we weren't really sure. We just, it was on one of the guitars we had as an acoustic guitar and we thought our, it was called Sobrain. So uh, we, our band was called Sobrain, you know, and uh, when we got to the first show and we were introduced, we realized that it's actually called Sovereign, you know, and uh, you know, that didn't sound as cool. But that was that was my first band. Um, my second band actually received some subsidies from the Canadian government uh, okay. called a Factor Grant. And we were, uh, you know, given some money so we could record a CD and we did pretty well with that. Nice. Um, but then I played in so, I, so many groups. It, it would almost be um, just too much to continue mm-hmm. listing them. But I mainly played a lot of R&B soul music. I played in gospel bands here in uh, Toronto. I've been very lucky with that. I played in one group called Divine Worship that was really helpful for my personal musical development because of the quality level of the musicians in that ensemble. Uh, they really helped jump me up to, you know, give me some knowledge of how to perform that music well. So, and uh, yeah, so with many different groups, and Magic actually didn't start until I was uh, 32. Um, and, uh, yeah, it would, it just kind of came out of, uh, writing. I was in the LA, I was, uh, co-writing with, uh, the messengers, which is a production team. Okay. Uh, Adam. And we had actually done a song for Chris Brown that became one of his singles called please don't judge, judge me. Yeah. I think that was, was number, called, number one hit one. Yeah. yeah. It's like, please don't judge me and I won't judge you. Because it can get ugly before it gets beautiful. That's, That's like kind of like the basic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, But we had that song we did together, and we were very proud of that. And uh, I remember Nasri uh, asked me one time, he's like, hey, do you want to start a band, you know, and kind of have this band be like the police as a basic uh, genre? You know, it's it's reggae influence, but not authentic yeah. reggae music, you know. Um we, uh, of course, we love authentic reggae music. I'm saying that the, the genre itself is, uh, you know, it's kind of a fusion of uh, various styles. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then at that period of time, Locked Out of Heaven came out for Bruno Mars, and we could see proof of concept of something that sounded kind of like a police, because he was largely drawing from the police's sonic aesthetic when he dropped that record. And we were just like, yeah, okay, sure. So we, we made a whole bunch of songs, and uh, Rude was one of those songs. I actually wrote the the hook of Rude, and I'm feel proud of that. Like I wrote the "Why You Gotta man. Be So Rude" yeah, lyric. Yeah, you should. Yeah, and that thing did really well for us. So I mean, I feel super proud of that. But you know, it's been it's a, it's a weird thing because it's a it's what people kind of know me as being connected to and having done. But it's also I feel like I'm have been chasing my tail for years now because that's the one cool thing I did. You know, and it's like. Uh, oh yeah, you remember that song? And then I got you know, it's like. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I still feel very lucky. It's super lucky to to have that occur, you know. And we yeah, were. I, I was going to ask you that. Is it yeah. is it more of a cursing or or is it a blessing? You know, when you have oh, a it's, moment it's, like what you just described. Yeah. No. No. It's absolutely a blessing, not a curse at all. Not a curse. It's an absolute blessing. But just concerning my own um, kind of conception of it and how it's affected me, uh, it, it's 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 certainly not. I can't even. I would never use the word curse about it. It's just uh, I measure other things against that gotcha you know because also just it had such massive success even from a, we were discussing before releasing music as an independent artist and you brought up a point about putting stuff out there and i was like yeah i and i was mentioning that you know you, you wanted not need the validation from the public when you release a song but at the same time you can't help but 
want a bit of it. And what I do remember is before I used to, <laughs> I haven't even never really talked about this to anyone, but now that we're discussing this, I feel like I'll just be honest about this. I, I've always loved Love pop music, but I never saw myself as someone that was going to need to have that kind of success, you know, and want that success. I, I would never looked at myself, you know, some people are like, Oh, I want to be a star or something like that. Or I want to do that. I never, I don't care about that stuff. Um, they, it's, so for me, it was always about the music and I never really thought pop music was going to be the vehicle that actually gave me any sort of income. I just didn't know that. Um, but after having magic do so well, now when I release my own original music, I feel like I have failed if it don't, if I don't get good results. Whereas previously, I wasn't as attached to it because I didn't have something that had worked out so well. You know, because yeah. then it's just sort of like this thing like, okay, this did really well, so why can't I know? Uh, I have a question. I'm Mark. Song that's, say it again, Charlie? Were you so I have a question. So did that oh. affect... Well, it's kind of leading into something else, but did that affect your like actual like you your music writing? It did that too. For a while, I was not even making some music that I really loved. I was just trying to make songs that I thought were gonna have pop success. Yeah, gotcha. Without actually naming a bunch of things right now, because I don't want to throw one under the bus or anything like that. But that continues to happen even to this day. I get calls for people wanting me to release certain songs of certain genres, and I'm not. I don't even like the style uh, of music as much. But I'm doing it just because I'm still trying to chase. Um, something that occurred you know do you and like, uh do you feel like that set the bar so high that like to your point it set it so high yeah. now this should be the standard in your world like you feel like if i don't like we were saying if i don't live up to that standard that um you know i'm not doing it right or it's a letdown or something of that nature yeah totally totally exactly yeah i mean i feel like if uh it doesn't have some degree of success upon release it doesn't need to not everything needs to be a smash hit number one billboard hit across the world right but just something occur well on its behalf i feel like it's it's a failure if if i put a song out and nobody nobody cares about it or a very small amount of people care about it but as we had discussed uh before we even started the podcast you know um there's I mean, I'd love to share this with uh, musicians and artists that are, are trying to release music right now, just a little bit of perspective on it. And, and that's that you should try to detach yourself from that, what I'm discussing. I'm just I'm being vulnerable and admitting that I do feel a little dejected when that happens. But I mm -hmm. do know that for peace of mind and just uh, ensuring that we continue to do this and continue to have output from music and, and get involved in these creative pursuits, we, we shouldn't think about it so much in those terms. Like, oh, I released something and nobody cared. It's not healthy to do that. Also, it's no reflection of the quality level of the music. It's music, pop music especially, is not really so... Um, organized in that sense where you have something incredible and then you make this amazing thing and then when you put it out into the world because of its inherent objective worth mm -hmm. it succeeds on a massive level because it's just so irrefutably amazing that's the that's not how the this game works it, it's a, a part of it you want to have a good product you want to have something that sounds great people can sing along to and love but that's not the the determining factor of, of what's going to have something achieve success versus it, it, it not achieving success. No, that's a great point. I mean, I can tell you that, um, 
there's no doubt you guys created a massive hit, knocked it out of the park. I mean, uh, as I was telling you on the show, like I remember I have a video of my son, five years old, singing this song word for word in the backseat of my wife's uh, vehicle. Cool. And, uh, yeah. you know, to this date, when I told him we were going to meet today, he started, he just could rattle that song off. And, uh, you know, he's 15 years old right now. And, uh, you know, Every, it's so I, I got to ask this. This is, you know, we, Charlie and I talk about divine intervention and things happening all the time. So Charlie's like, hey, Mark's coming on the show. And, and I think we tried to do it last Tuesday. Something came up and we had oh, it for yeah. this Tuesday. So between last Tuesday and yesterday, my wife's texting me. She's a, she's a PA in dermatology. So, you know, they've, they've got a practice and the, they got a radio station playing. She's like, Quentin, every day that song has come on. Since you told me Mark was coming on the show, and really? she's like, wow. I'm pretty sure I haven't heard that song in a while. She goes, I hear it, but every single day, and I'm like, that's just funny. I don't know if that's someone speaking to us or if, well, or if your, your constant rotation, she's just not paying attention, and now it's like top of mind to her. But I'm gonna go with the second one. There. I'll say that if you get a song to even be on the charts at all, like you're one of like millions, you uh, know, like they would have that happen. Yeah. But, yeah. but if you're also one that actually gets to have a, a song that sticks, yep. like you guys didn't just get a song that made it and then kind of fell off the window. You know what I mean? Like it stuck to the window and everybody's <laughs> going to see it for the rest <laughs> of their lives. Like it's yeah. a staple song. Yeah. It's a, it's um, a killer so song. It's a banger, man. Thanks, and, yeah. Man. In the Thanks, context, man. like, like when you guys write, like, I, I think this is something that viewers probably would like to know because I get asked this a lot. Like, you know, what is your writing style? And when you wrote that song, were you thinking about, and maybe you don't even have to answer this question, but for example, like, were you thinking, I want this to be played at weddings? You know what I mean? Because that's what ended up probably well, happening. I see what you're saying. You know? yeah. But what is your writing with, style? Do you have a specific... One, not so much specifically uh, targeting it as a wedding song, although it's be it, beca it has become that, right? Mm -hmm. Due to the nature, the, the uh, lyrical perspective on it is it has to do with a marriage kind of idea right so so yeah um but it wasn't it wasn't um formulated with that in mind however since then we uh, constantly talk about the the purpose of the the songs you know right. both in that group as well as other ones yeah i, I wish I actually would love to i mean i just want to give honest answers right, uh, right. but I, I wish it was not so calculated sometimes you know, I, I want music to come out naturally. I wish I could give the story like, yeah, you know, we were just vibing and then it came out like, and, I, and it wasn't really like that. It was, it was, um, that one wasn't supposed to be a wedding song, but trying to make it sound like a hit mm -hmm. and putting the right ingredients in there and having it be structured in the way that it was, there was deliberate decisions uh, to make it be that. It wasn't uh, just something that organically and naturally came together. It was, uh, it actually changed three times, the production of it. Well, I mean, it changed. You nailed it. Totally. And also it was, uh, I was mentioning to you before, um, it was actually available um, for five months on YouTube and it had 4,000 hits. That's it. And now it has over 2 billion on That's YouTube. And I was going to ask that. I'm glad you brought that Spotify. up. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's crazy. Just And, and I think the, the takeaway from that, I mean, things have changed now. This was nine years ago. Um, and now the process of um, promoting a song that you think is a hit is different. But uh, during that period of time, I have to mention the guy who, uh, who's my, my buddy and uh, is Charles Chavez from Latium. He was our manager and he, he really was the, the, the factor, the X factor there that uh, promoted the song and, and pushed it forward, you know, without him advocating for it and spending on it and uh, leveraging contacts to push the song forward, it wouldn't have become a hit. Like we often think of stuff like, oh, if it's a hit song, you put it out there, it's gonna 
have a snowball effect mm-hmm. because it's a great song. Not necessarily. You could put it a great song. And if it's one thing, if you have a great song and people hear it and they're like, I loved it or I didn't love it. And they give you some sort of reaction. If they are not even aware of its existence, there's no way for it to have a snowball effect. And I think that's the, the present uh, predicament of the music industry is that it's so oversaturated with independent releases that even if someone is attempting to do their due diligence, whether that's an A&R or some sort of playlist curator, or even just a, a avid fan of music, they're not actually able to listen to the 80,000 new songs that come out every day. Like, even if you wanted to start at the beginning of the day and be like, oh, I'm going to discover a whole bunch of great independent artists today. Well, you're, you're probably not even going to make a dent into the total amount of songs that are being released. And that's, that's a problem in a, in a, in a certain sense of, of uh, conceptualizing it's a, it's a problem. And in another sense, maybe it's not because what it's going to do is, um, kind of destroy the the kind of, I guess you could say the traditional system of of how the industry is set up and, and present a new one. And that's that's what we're seeing now. Now we're seeing hits. You have a hit song if, if a 15 second clip goes viral on TikTok. Right. They'll sign an artist off of, you know, a tiny little segment of uh, something sounding catchy to people. Yeah. I and mean, I'm not even saying that's bad. You know, that's just where it's at. You're you know? saying they'll get signed from a TikTok. That's, Yeah. People will get signed from like a 15 second clip or 30 second clip on TikTok. And it's just because, and, but it's, I'm not saying that begrudgingly, like if there's a, a younger person and then that's happened to their music, that's, that's wonderful. That's great for them. Of course it, it does have a whole bunch of question marks around it too, because just because someone made something that sounds good for a little bit doesn't necessarily mean that there's um, substance there. Like they might not be able to get on stage and actually sing their song. There might not be any musical talent there necessarily i'm not saying that to throw shade on anyone mind you either i'm just saying like uh you can't tell what where someone's at musically with such a such a, a small fragment of, of a statement a musical statement a yeah but that's been the case in the music business right from the beginning of time too it's never always been about <clears throat> talent it's it's been it's yes talent is there but it's also about uh financial spend and nepotism you know, back in the day, the mob was was buying records forward on radio. They would literally go to the radio with money in hand and they would do payola. It literally was payola. They would buy songs onto the radio. Um, and I mean, I'm not like, okay, and we, if we hear that, it's, oh, that's terrible. Well, yeah, it's terrible. Well, that's just how it is. And now it's also relationship-based. If you have friends that work um, at a DSP, like a mm-hmm. digital streaming platform, and they're willing to put you on, then great. Or if you're independently wealthy and you're able to buy your product forward, then yeah, you're going to see some results. If you don't have any friends and you don't have any capital, it's hard to promote your music because then you, now you're starting to rely on other people participating, which and it's got to be the right happen. music though too. Because I've seen people and I've yeah. played with them in groups before where, you know, we would go fly somewhere, do a showcase, and it was a complete flop. But I, you know, the music wasn't right. You know, it wasn't about uh, getting in front of people. So I think fundamentally, you know, yeah. you got you got to yeah. have a good song, and and then you take that step you're talking about. Yeah, totally. I, I don't want to mean to say it in like a self-deprecating sense that oh, the music has has to be terrible or the music should the, the worse the music is, the better you'll do. I don't mean that. You're absolutely right. You still need to have good music. I mean, even though that's a subjective. Uh, thing uh, you want to have music that re- reaches the a large amount of people, especially if you're going for pop success, absolutely without question. But I'm just saying that uh, even with, like, I think the the 
the um, unfair thing is when someone has a really great song and uh, you'll never, you'll never hear it. If they don't have a great song, it's not as much of a, you know, unfair situation because it's, you know, uh, but uh, there's a lot of unsung heroes out there that are incredible singers and musicians. If you think about it in this sense, um, um, pop music is not like the Olympics. Okay. You know, it's not like, uh, let's say even from a singing perspective, uh, you practice singing until you get to such a high level of vocal capability that you can demonstrate without any doubt that you're you're there you're the you're amazing at singing then once you hit that zenith of of talent you're awarded a number one billboard hit because you're so irrefutably good that's not how it goes right and and, and for instrumentalists it's even more the case you know in some genres that level of excellence is important like for instance if you want to play violin in an orchestra and you want to be the principal violinist in a reputable symphonic or orchestra, you have to practice your violin so that you can actually go there. And it's not about bravado or, you know, um, the mantras you're telling yourself at the beginning of the day, you literally have to demonstrate to the, to the people that you're exceptional, at that instrument. And you're also in the running against a whole bunch of other people that are also really incredible at that instrument. I don't mean to suggest that classical music is uh, better than the, another music. There's, it has nothing to do with that. I just mean in terms of the analysis of um, trying to attempt to find who is the deserved person for that position. It's a little bit more clear cut because you actually have to have a skill set in mind. Mm -hmm. In the Olympics, it's similar. You go to the Olympics, you can't say to people, you I'm the greatest pole vaulter in the world. And then you're not good at pole vaulting. If you're going to win pole vaulting, you got to show that you like, you show that. You, and it's, it's so clear to see the person who wins right. is the person that wins. In pop music, there's all these factors that are, but it's, it's a balance of numerous factors. Most of them are have to do with financial spend and nepotism, not necessarily with how amazing you are at your craft. That's still a part of it. It's still definitely a part of it, but it's not the determining factor. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. You were saying earlier, you know, as an artist, as a new artist, one of the challenges yeah. that you kind of, you said you kind of felt bad for was that the advice these new artists are getting in today's world are, hey, yeah. release one song a month. You got to do three different posts on social media platforms. You literally have to get after it, but it has to be constant content over and over and over again and putting yourself out there. And to your point, there's 80,000 people doing this daily as well, that it's really kind of saturated the competition and saturated and diluted the market as far as, you know, how to find people. And, um, you know, 
Yep. Well, we were talking about that. You did say, unless you get a break, which is what you're speaking to right now in the form of some sort of, you know, sphere of influence or some sort of nepotism that you may uh, see out there, or you've got money bags, one of the two, that it's very difficult to sift through those 80,000 a day and navigate your way to get to someone's, you know, influence to where they go, yeah, that person, let's go sign them. Let's do this. Let's do that. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, that's it. That's just it. Yeah, because it, it, like, for instance, if you go online and you search um, like online resources for what an independent artist should do right now, there's a bunch of advice that's listed there. Like, as you mentioned, and we were discussing, uh, and part of it is that you know, make sure you're posting on TikTok three times a day. Make make sure you're constantly releasing new songs uh, at least once a month. New song every month at least. Um, and that's not bad advice though, right? It's not like, of course that, that makes sense because what that's doing is that's putting you out there. Now you have a, a presence on social media through the three posts a day on you on TikTok or reels or whatever you want to, you know, ideally across all platforms. And also you have consistent music releases. Unfortunately though, if everyone heeds that advice and all the independent artists are actually going to post that much on social media as well as release that much music. What it creates is what we've seen is a completely oversaturated um, marketplace for music yeah. and uh, the inability for the, for a listener to actually sift through it, you know? So it, there's, there's, there's beauty to it as well. The beauty of it now is that everybody can release music. You don't need to procure investment from a record label like traditionally back in the day if you want to go back to you know even when i was coming up um in the early 90s when i was making some music back then and trying to get it out we still needed to record at a, a decent studio I, mean, I just i remember getting some stuff done at home i bought myself an eight app machine and before that i had a little four track and i would do some cool stuff on that but at some point i needed to go to a studio and there needed to be people that were hired to to do certain tasks in a, a larger facility. Now you can do everything on your laptop, you know, and it's easy to do. You don't need to be a, a genius to uh, produce music on your laptop at home. Every singer, musician who's conscious, I shouldn't say every, but many, most musicians on the come up now are also equipped with the ability to do production at home. So because of that, they can make their, their um, music entirely, 100% by themselves at home and they can put it out through a distributor such as uh, DistroKid or a TuneCore or you know, many of the other options you have and it'll be globally distributed all around the world and anyone can do it and everyone is doing it but that's the problem is yeah. that everyone's doing it so it's great it's great in terms of the ability to get it out there if you want to get music out there now no one is standing in your path but unfortunately also nobody cares about the music that you've just released it's kind of, uh, you know, it's just a sign of times. Right? Yeah, definitely a sign of the time. So, you know, when you go back to that hit that you guys made, I, I did, I was curious when you talk about it, or like 2013, I believe is when you, you mentioned yeah. that came out. So 2013, mm -hmm. the, the, the digital media platforms were, they were 10 years, almost 10 years solid in the making. You know, Apple Music, I think was just getting ready to come on the scene, but iTunes was definitely a thing. Um, yep. You know, and they really didn't have many competitors. I mean, there was like Pandora and a couple of other ones out there. Spotify yep. hadn't really come out yet, um, but it was making its way to the market. You know, how much did that, like that digital concept, how much did that help you guys get out there that much quicker as opposed to maybe having to have a single, you know, when you used to, when singles used to be a thing and, or, or releasing an entire CD, things of that nature and depend on that yep. sale to take off versus, you know, the digital age that we were in right now. 
It's a great question, man. Um, and uh, uh, to speak on that, um, I should mention that we actually were at the tail end of companies such as Spotify not being the primary projection indicators. Okay. We're at the tail end of that. So Spotify was, was just sort of beginning to gain prominence. And now they have the, the biggest market share of uh, people, listeners, you know, but when we were doing it, it was still radio. So we actually got our success from radio. We became a, a radio hit across the world, essentially not, not in every territory, but in most uh, we had radio success. And that was largely due to Charles, uh, the guy I mentioned before. He he came from radio. He had 30 years of radio experience, and he had a lot of contacts. And he advocated very heavily and strongly on our behalf. We had a record deal with Sony Music to the worldwide division, which was helpful, too, because they made it a global plan as opposed to just starting in one area and seeing how it does. And um, Actually, we did do that as well, though. We started off um, in Australia because Australia's summertime is our wintertime. Okay. And uh, Root is kind of like a pop reggae record. So for people to hear that and they feel like that, it's sort of like a summer song. It becomes a song of the summer kind of vibe, right? So the, yeah. the idea, and it was smart thinking. This was all Charles, too. He wanted to break the song in a summer market that was then summer and then use the and whatever numbers were generated from that but for instance if it didn't do very well in australia then we wouldn't you'd never have heard the song and we wouldn't be have this discussion right now it was it it snowballed as a result of it doing well in that territory and then they tried it in a different one and then kept on moving around it was due to radio uh to, the question about streaming services is now now in 2022 more than ever streaming services are the way to have a, it's, it's the most obvious projection indicator. It's the best analytic you can have. Unfortunately, it can be fudged as well. Um, and of course, investment and all the rest of it is, uh, even when people say they're not doing anything, they're often um, using, uh, they're buying themselves forward. There's vanity yeah. numbers involved in streaming, right? But what you can't do right now, what you were able to do then, but for instance, then it was about connections. So for instance, Charles was a G at radio. So therefore someone like Charles, <laughs> could go into a radio station and be like, okay, I got the record for you guys. Shouldn't really say someone like him because he's pretty one of a kind in, in what he does, but that type of thing, it was as a, re as a result of his personal influence, right? Whereas now you can't actually go into a radio station and be like, have I got the song for you guys? That doesn't mean anything. Cause if you're it might be a great sounding song. They don't care. They need to see the metrics from the DSPs, if okay. if your Spotify numbers say two hundred million, okay, great. Well, then you know you're off you're off to the running. They'll they'll, they'll play your song. Um, if it says like two hundred thousand, then forget it. Wow. You know now can those yeah, numbers when you said manipulated are there is there market movers like you know we talk about in the equities market you know uh, especially like in crypto which is not equities but the crypto yeah. market those numbers can be moved. There's there's wells that move that. Are there wells in the streaming services that can, like are there bots? Oh, are there people that move this? They can absolutely. manipulate it. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and um, you shouldn't. I mean, if any uh, independent artists are listening, you shouldn't use services that utilize bots because that's not going to help you. I mean, it'll make your number go up. It'll like if you let's right. say you, you have a very little interest be generated on your song. You, you hire a company that utilizes the, those types of methods. You'll see the number go up, but it's very transactional in nature. And then after one month's time or however long the campaign is, it'll be a, an immediate sudden death as far as promotion is concerned. It'll be a drop done from whatever it is to nothing more. There's no snowball effect. Yeah. You should you should put the money into um, 
promotional stuff, marketing stuff, still trying to get the numbers up, but doing the numbers by at least attempting to find people that are potentially interested in the sort of music that you're doing. If you're a rock artist or something, you're a country artist or R&B singer, you know, you want to be targeting the type of fans that would potentially like the kind of music that you're doing. You're not going to get that with these bot type services, but do they exist? Of course they exist. And uh, a lot of people have fudged their numbers on the streaming services. So it's hard to tell um, who's actually succeeding and, and who who is not. Because yeah, um, when you hear some of these numbers, they're pretty outrageous. And I was... I was yeah. wondering that because, you know, you hear about that on social media, especially as we've kind of entered the podcast game and it's the similar thing. Like, you know, it's all about downloads. It's all about uh, more or less downloads and streaming on our end and then, you know, viewers and, and your social media channels. And one thing that our marketing company just harped on, like they were like, do not buy any type of subscribers at all to your point, exactly yeah. what you said, because it's going to show Agreed. up and it's just going to stop and you're going to, there's no interaction. There's no nothing. And it's, it's a dead giveaway what you did every time. Yeah. You don't want to buy um, followers and that go, that's, it's the same thing as even if you're on Instagram and you see someone and they have like 80,000 followers, but then uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone who's no, done no. this either, by the way, so I don't wanna, I'm not here to, to make anyone feel badly about it. Cause I can understand the, if there's an artist out there, whatever your field is, maybe you have done something like this and now you feel regret about that. I don't want you to feel that way, but nevertheless, if you haven't done something like that, I would suggest not doing it because it's like you have 80,000 followers. And then the last post has like, you know, 10 likes and there's like exactly. one comment on it. So clearly, you know, it's not real. Right. Or you have tons and tons of views and likes, but then you only have like 10 comments, which is also like, not like, I mean, I'll, I'll, um, it's not all about my, my stuff. Who really cares? But I just, I, I can only relate to my own experience. No, you know, right. I have a, a video that has maybe a thousand likes, but I'll have like 200 or so comments. That's what it should be. You right. know, you shouldn't have a, uh, 15,000 likes and then 20 comments. That means it's so obvious that you've paid for the viewership, which isn't necessarily like bad per se, right? It's, it's just, um, you know, it's, it, I think there's just some, it's just obvious that it's been uh, purchased forward, right? Right. So I, gotta, you know, I was yeah. asking this. So I was recently, um, well, recently, about a year ago, I was at the Bluebird Cafe down in Nashville. And I'm sitting there listening, and this is, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it's a—it's a—it's about a little bit bigger than the room we're in right now. And songwriters will come in there that have a story. Um, usually I've written for a ton of country music and maybe some pop artists, maybe. And they'll tell you, you know, to your point, how they came up with this song, why they did it, uh, what it meant to them. And then they'll, you know, they'll play a little bit of it. And, uh, and they always say this. I, I was in there recently, and I, I regret I don't remember the gentleman's name, but— uh, he wrote a, quite a few hits, and his most recent hits have been with Morgan Wallen. And he told me, he said, man, you know, the mailbox money stopped when the digital platform stream hit. Uh, he said, don't get me wrong, we still get paid. But as songwriters, we lost momentum when the digital age came through. Then yeah. when, when you physically bought that CD, that's when the songwriter really got paid. You know, the artist yeah. got paid a little on the CD and definitely on the touring but we got paid when that CD sold. And he was like, so, you know, when for him, he was like, you know, my most recent windfall was when, you know, Morgan Wallen got the cancel culture and he's like, everybody had to buy CDs. He's like, dude, that was the best thing for me financially. But he said the digital age has really impacted the songwriter. And, you know, I was going to wonder what was your take on that as far as like the, the, the selling of CDs or even like the oh, yeah. radio play versus digital play. Totally, totally. Yeah. You, you, I mean, your friends are right. It just definitely has, um, 
largely affected the bottom line to the point where there's very little income that that comes from streaming. That's what he said. Um, I don't think it's because I mean, there's there's a lot of discussion now. You know, that there's the the big bad wolf you know which is the the industry at large or the spotify or you know apple music and they're so greedy it's not necessarily that it's just it's kind of like what netflix is you know you're just offering a lot of even more so than netflix because i mean there's a limited amount of series there but all it's essentially all music is available on spotify and you get that service at whatever you pay per month you know you just pay 10 bucks 12 bucks or whatever it is you know you know yeah and uh and that's and they're you're trying to make all that available to you for that price so is there a pretty crappy artist royalty payout that's constantly being disputed and and uh, then yeah of course yeah were you making more money off cd sales before yeah for sure i mean if you're selling cds there's also right. artists that made cds and they didn't sell cds in which case they were not making money uh either during that period of time it's tricky because um there's just there's always been hard for the independent musician that doesn't have a company advocating for them to make it uh, and and have good income from it, and that's been the case always. It's not like just right now in 2022, it's suddenly become impossible for the independent musician to do it. No, it's it's always been hard for the independent musician to release music. It's not fair. It's it's not structured in such a way to only elevate that which is good that's not but it's also the music business you know it's not uh it's not yeah it's pop music right we're trying to uh you know so there's all these different things that are at play so yeah about the as a songwriter it is good to have a physical sale if you can sell a cd or a vinyl you're going to make more money than someone streaming for sure is don't you find it ironic though you go back to like the the metallicas of the world that advocated against napster for so long they want it regulated And the idea of regulated was to protect the artists and protect the industry. And and then yeah. I hear something like what you just said. There's there's some sort of level of irony behind the fact that it still isn't um, quite what it should be for the artist and the the songwriter. Yeah. Because I yeah, yeah. you know I often wonder. I think I think a lot of our audience members probably don't recognize this. You know, to your point, Spotify. I was talking about this with someone, and they were like, "Oh yeah, but they're getting paid through Spotify and through Apple." And I'm and I was was told that Apple's better than the other ones, but it's still not what it was. Um, and, and the reality is, is that um, I you have to do more to to maybe make what you would have made 10, 15 years ago in the industry. You got to have more success on those charts and more hits now to to kind of uh, duplicate that financial success um, versus what you could have done then. And, um, totally. and when, yeah. and when he, you know, he was explaining, he's like, it's, it's a constant grind right now in comparison to what it used to be. And, um, you know, I never thought of it that way. That kind of blew my mind. Cause here I, you know, I'm like, man, they artists have it so easy. They release this song, you know, they're making all this capital and that's just pure ignorance on our naiveness on my behalf. I don't know that. And I've probably most people, but the struggles, the struggles that you guys go through, um, you know, every industry has its own struggles, but these are something that I think are, are, you guys have a mountain to climb man, And it's a, it's a tough one to, to kind of please everybody. You put these amazing songs out there and then everyone kind of rejoices in it and, and, and enjoys it. But yet you're not seeing all the fruits of your label that, that you should be seeing there. So that, uh, that was kind of mind boggling to me when I heard that. Yeah. And I've been on the lucky end, so I don't want to, um, you know, 
purport or present myself as someone who's just like had a hard time with it. I'm actually lucky. Like I have a hit song, so I right. have received good income. I just also see it for the facade that it is from the other perspective. I can identify with the plight of independent artists that are trying to get their music out there and nobody cares about their music because I also understand that too. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, there's like, we were discussing before pros and cons, um, to what the situation is right now. The situation for, for independent artists is better in many ways than it's ever been. If you are concerned with getting your music out there, if your primary goal is I wanna create something that I'm proud of and make it available to the entire world, well, guess what? You can absolutely do that now way more easy than you've, than you've ever been able to do in the history of, of music making. You can absolutely make your music and you can absolutely globally distribute it. The only problem is nobody is going to care. So if you can, but if you can detach, I shouldn't say nobody's going to care. Most likely not too many people are going to care because it's so oversaturated. But if you can detach yourself from the necessity of having people actually interact with the music and you're okay with just the the intrinsic reward of it you know you're proud of what you made and it is available and you're happy with it that's great um i have i just admit even earlier in this uh podcast that I, it's been hard for me to do that because even though I, I do give that advice to um artists that i speak to i've had to do some talks at various universities and i got um you know people with you know their eyes all you know, on me and asking for advice about this type of thing. I try to be as optimistic as possible, but also I realized that it's been hard for me as well, even with my own music, having something to really succeed and releasing something and seeing that not as many people like it. It's, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. You want people to like your music, but well, you yeah, can also so you can get it out local there. and regional, um, like success or some, I feel like working towards that is a good first step your local totally. and then regional and you definitely can move into that better than I feel like you ever were able to do before. Um, oh, absolutely. And from that perspective, like, yeah, if you, if, if someone's a, a great performer or entertainer and they want to play around their city and kick ass and do a really good job, that's still there. Mm -hmm. That hasn't disappeared because that doesn't have anything to do with this razzle dazzle smoke and mirrors pretending that you're really good, even if you're not having your numbers be really amazing, but then you kind of actually suck at what you do. Not throwing shade on anyone specifically, but saying that phenomenon that occurs is that's not going to be the case if you're actually at a club singing for people. Right. You're either going to be really good at what you do or not. And people are going to be able to see that. They'll be like, okay, this person's a great guitar player or no, they're not very good at guitar. The, wow. This person's the got coolest a great things voice. about you, Mark, is that you like from the time that I met you when you were playing for or with Justin Nazuka, um, you right after that show went outside and a guy that was playing at uh, just a bar or club or whatever close to the venue, you were sitting out there in a stool beside him and playing guitar on the side of the street with this dude. And I was like, that guy was just on stage. Like you've always kept that kind of uh, just pure purity, I guess, for the enjoyment of playing, for the sake of playing. Um, and that, I think, is a big part of what you're talking about to keep you going in those moments when you're like, I don't know if this is working, you know? Like, it, you really do have to love music. And music is a language. You know, it's like, oh, how could I ever speak Spanish? You know, how could I ever speak French or anything like that? It's, it's music's kind of like one of those things. You just, you know, you, you learn little things, but after a while, now you're not thinking about the language anymore. It's just this pure emotion and this connection that you get to have and not just with the audience, but also with the musicians. And I think that's a big part of, you know, like kind of maybe leading in for you and Quinn to talk about who you get, you've played with and people that you've written with. But um, 
but yeah, like the interaction that you have with musicians on stage and can you travel with them? Can you write with them? You know, can you have that marital musical kind of, you know, connection with those people? Because if it does turn into what you want it to turn into, there's a lot of compromising and a lot of things that you're going to have to do with those group of individuals that might have different goals or whatever than you. Totally. Yeah, that's very true, man. That's very true. Yeah. When you, and thanks, thanks, Charlie. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, no, that, saying that. that makes complete sense. And, you know, when you're talking about like your musical influence and like you said you were heavily R&B, you were heavily into, uh, you know, uh, jazz, you know, who was, who's your, who's your most influential artist that's probably, um, you know, had the biggest impact on, on your work? For me, it's, uh, I, I love like my, my guy, you know, that I'm just like really uh, just love his music is uh, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I love, I love Stevie. I got so many artists that I, I really admire and love, but for him, for me, he's kind of like almost like a messiah kind of character. Pick. You know, I just really revere him. And uh, I, I sing his songs all the time, you know, constantly performing around LA. I'd sing like Motown covers at a club and stuff. And I really enjoy doing that. I just like singing and playing. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm always singing stevie songs and playing them what's I your love, favorite what's your favorite stevie song uh overjoyed oh nice nice yeah i really love cool. overjoyed yeah it's just the chord changes and his his vocals on it i mean and also it's like i just i'm such a fan of his singing he's just such a great vocalist you know and it's just so amazing to to i mean i've, I've learned a lot just by attempting to sing these songs yeah. over the years i mean and you got a chance you know, to also, meet him I did. I did. I met him. I told Charlie this before. I already told Charlie, but I met him when I was on tour with uh, Justin and we were in the South of France and we uh, played at this, like, it almost looked like a Roman cathedral Coliseum or something like that. It was a massive venue. Um, we opened up for Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. After the show, I went up to him and I uh, told him, I love you, Stevie. And he's like, I love you too, man. <laughs> and he, uh, he, even though he doesn't really love me, he didn't know me, but he just said that too. And we, yeah. you know, we embraced and took a picture. It was, it was great. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of That's his cool. music. His, you can, yeah, you can just, see you know, that right now. You're like kind of surreal moment, you know, for you. as Yeah. Well. I really, really love, I really admire him, man. You know, he's just, and it's just, there's so much raw talent and musicality there. There's just uh, tons and tons of stuff to be learned from his songs in his catalog so when you guys uh in your career what's been like the, the the wildest venue craziest venue you've been to and why well the, for the biggest show we played with magic was rock and rio which okay. is in you know brazil um and uh that was incredible i mean it was a massive performance i think it was like a hundred thousand people there or something like that you know that's one of those times that i just like and th those shows are both really exciting and also I, I don't get nervous but I'm, I'm always concerned about technical problems okay it's the only thing i'm sorry it's not like the performance anxiety it's more like okay what's going to go wrong here and i remember that day i was concerned about the tone out of my my amplifier i was just having one of those days where i was just like obsessing about it. I was like oh my, my tone isn't right my tone isn't right but it's also because i knew i was gonna be playing for like so many people and uh it was such an important thing that that i that i get right you know i want to make sure that i do a good job and that, but yeah that was that was the craziest biggest show i've done a lot of big old shows that that were pretty amazing but that one was probably the just the the biggest one yeah, i mean i couldn't imagine getting out from a hundred thousand people much less worried about yeah. uh i look at charlie back here i'm like we think we have technical difficulties sometimes but <laughs> hundred thousand people that's a whole other set man you can't hit pause on that oh, and come back oh, man. I've, I've had some bad moments with that technical uh, difficulty 
yep. good. No good. So, no. um, you know, something that I noticed earlier we were talking about before the show was that you just, you recently just got done and recently being, you know, last couple of years, uh, pre COVID of course, but you did some stuff with J Cole too, that you were talking about earlier. You mind sharing yeah, that? Yeah, I did. Yep. I love his music and uh, I work with, um, my, a really good buddy of mine, uh, producer named T minus. Okay. T minus is super dope, amazing, uh, producer. And he's a good friend. And, uh, we teamed up on a bunch of, uh, production stuff. And, uh, we did a song that went to Jake Cole and it became, uh, Kevin's heart. And uh, it actually Kevin Hart is in the music video too. And it became one of his singles. So it's really cool. I was really proud of that. I didn't know that it was going to go to him though, right? We just were making a bunch of music. I, I drove over to uh, T-Monis' uh, place here. He lives in, near Toronto too, but on the other side, I'm on the West End, he's on the East End. I just drove over to his place and we made some music and this one went to J. Cole. We also worked in the studio with him too a couple times in LA um, when he came in town. He, I think he was in the middle of a tour. We would go and meet him at the studio and work on some more stuff. So that was I was really happy that that happened. Uh, that was a, a great collaboration. Yeah, that, uh, I was always wondering how that happens. Like, because I obviously, you know, I'm as, as naive as I am. I know you didn't write that for him. So you put this together. His producers like puts it out there. He's the one that T minus is like, hey, I, this we're gonna get this over to Jay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? A lot of that has to do with who is connected to who. Gotcha. So in that case, it's all I have to give all the credit to T minus. Like literally. Uh, um, I mean, I, I collaborated on the music part of it, but right. it wasn't due to my um, connections that we were able to get the song to J. Cole. It's because T. Minus is uh, really well respected as a hip hop producer, as well as other genres too, right? But he worked with Drake early in his career and did a bunch of records for him, as well as a whole bunch of artists, right? So, um, yeah, he's just, he's a really good producer too. It's not even like that he's been getting this thing and he doesn't deserve it he's he's the guy so we we work really well together and uh he just thought that would be a good um thing to send j cole that's what that's That's how fantastic so speaking of collaboration if you had one collaboration you could you're one more who's the one more collaboration you'd love to work with in your career oh wow um i'd like to work with thundercat i'm uh i like his music a lot and uh i met i actually hung out with them here in Toronto last time because my buddy does his um, front of house sound. My buddy Danny Munoz does his, uh, he's like the front of house engineer for him. And we hung out here in Toronto when, when they came, uh, I guess this was last year. Um, yeah. Anyway, he's, he's super dope. I like, I'm, I come from like jazz fusion background too, and play like, you know, the similar styles. And I don't even think he knows that about me too much. Cause I didn't really talk to him about that, but uh, I, I feel like we would collaborate well on, um, that stuff there's like on, on the nerdy end of uh music making i guess you could say but um yeah uh, and also i mean stevie's my you know like i was saying like, if i could collaborate the thing is i just yeah, think, I think maybe i don't even want to do a collab with him like i feel like i would shy away from that. i mean i would rise to the opportunity but a little part of me is like i don't even feel like i you know deserve that what i'm gonna do if i was in the studio with stevie i'd just be like you got this Stevie." you know i'd be more like <laughs> like yeah that was great you nailed I, it man or like i'd be like just yeah i don't, I don't want because i'm gonna be like okay yeah no i'm gonna do this part here you know like what am i gonna say to him right it's like go let me do this verse or something like no just you you got it you know yeah. hey speaking, <laughs> speaking of collaboration stuff quentin did you know that mark and the guys had a meeting with tim in new york once and had 
nothing to do with me or any of that like world and yeah we can't, with Tim Lenore yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy uh, so yeah. anyway Tim, Tim is uh, he was one of our guests and uh, we're getting ready to release that episode uh, here real soon yeah his episode yeah, uh, his episode yeah. drops uh, tomorrow today's uh, December 20th he drops on the 21st so. oh, sweet yeah hey so Mark um, you are in a group right now and I think it's cool but you know I'd like to just tell people that like you know, you don't have to be subject to just that one thing that you're doing. You can do oh, yeah. side projects and stuff on the side. Like you play yeah, in yeah, LA yeah. with a group. What's the name of your group? Oh yeah. So yeah, I got two new projects that I dropped um, in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is called Gemini, but it's spelled J M and I, and it's kind of my buddy's name is J M, and it's J M and I. Like uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we're both Gemini's. His birthday's on uh, May thirtieth, and I'm um, June fourteenth. And you were mentioning your uh, June twentieth. Yeah, June twentieth. Right? So when I saw the name Gemini, I was like, "Oh, he did it after the birth dates." But uh, <laughs> it's actually Jim and I. Yeah. But it works out that way. Yeah. So we that we um that we have a, we're really excited about that project. That's something he he basically he's an, uh, my buddy's an amazing rapper, and uh, you know so he kind of raps and then I come and sing the chorus and we just produce oh, it together sweet. and we got these kind of it's kind of like a a it's, dual it's project. Just the two of you guys. It's just the two of us, okay. yeah. And if we, you know, perform, we hire other musicians to to play with us too. And we got like you know a team of people that. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's it's that's been cool. That's still a project I'm involved with, but I'm also um, in a group with my buddy Omar Tavares, who's an amazing uh, musician. He's uh, he was Pitbull's musical director and drummer. You had him. You had him bless the track that you and I did together in L.A. He just, right. he just, he he just stopped by, and time. I remember you like, you know, what's up, Omar? And you're like, hey, man, do you yeah. mind? Ble- I love the way you said it. Do you mind blessing the track? <laughs> so I got Omar on one of my songs. Yeah, that, one of my latest releases was uh, a song that you produced um, for me. We did yeah, it. Yeah, I remember you talked about obsessiveness, but dude, you did that in two days. The whole thing yeah. from creation to mastering it in two days. And so, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty dope, bro. <laughs> oh, bro! Thank you, man. Yeah, and I just love that you that you we had you had a personal experience yourself with Omar because he happened to be there when when he's we were working very, on your project. Very cool guy. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. Him he's a lot. he's amazing, amazing. He's actually from Florida too. He's from uh, Miami, and uh, he yeah. Our, our our new project's called the Bromigos. The Bromigos. And actually, uh, <laughs> I love uh, it. The guy I was telling you about Charles, uh, yeah. my buddy. Uh, is uh the he's representing the Bromigos too he was magic's manager and our other um buddy nick uh is uh, there our their our team is kind of you know so yeah the first single we released it actually went on radio in hawaii and we got to we got to we think we picked at number six it's on called feature nice. ex-wife and so and i have to say that's all once again i was did i don't i feel like almost like we didn't even deserve that of our first single, but it was just because Charles like, thought we had a great song and he plugged us in there, right? So we got kind of lucky. That's when when influence and connections yeah. worked in our, in our favor on on that one. So we had a song that got right to the radio and why it was pretty amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. You know, the, yeah. one of the things I'm instantly taking away from this conversation that whether we're talking music or we're talking business or we're talking relationships. And I think that, you know, that kind of categorizes everyone. There's always going to be this person in your life that makes the difference. Um, The difference between uh, high level success, uh, growth, uh, encouragement, um, you name it. And it sounds like Charles was that for you. And Charles for sure was, was that. I'm hearing a theme here with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like he's, uh, I, I've said it. I mean, it's it, it's been a bit of a point of contention with within magic, to be honest. Not to give you all our dirt, but uh, 
the 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 thing about is I really feel like we we should have continued on with with Charles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um he was our guy and he was really, really influential for magic success. Magic wouldn't have had any success if he didn't do what he did for us. That's just the truth, right? But um anyway, I mean I kind of di- digress because I don't want to have to like I don't want to make it sound weird for anyone or sure. you know, because we have a new management that's that's great and stuff like that too and 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 whatnot. I don't want to make it be, you know, everything's cool. It's just that I have to give credit where it's due and, and magic success with rude specifically is, was, uh, was all him. Yeah. Uh, doing what he had, what he did to, well, to, to get us there. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he would say it, it took you guys making that song in order for him to make that push. He always says that. Yeah. He always says that. Yeah. He literally says that same thing. Yeah. Cause you do need a great song. Yeah. You don't want a, a bad song. You can advocate very heavily on behalf of a bad song and it, it might not go anywhere. Right. So yeah, you need a good song, but still there's lots of good songs. There's lots of unsung heroes. We, I can't make the, the statement like, yeah, we definitely have the best pop reggae song of 2013 there's probably some band from jamaica that had a way better song than us that we've never heard of or from wherever like there's a whole bunch of reggae markets hawaii they got guam is a great reggae market new zealand has great reggae music you know it's just like there's tons of great reggae bands i don't think i mean it would be yeah at the risk of sounding self-deprecating i'm pretty positive we didn't have the best pop reggae song of that year but we did have the right team behind it and we had a great song yeah so you know, this is but this is how the world works, right? It's not always the, the 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 greatest thing that wins, as we already discussed. Pop music is is a different beast from yeah. other things that are a little more objective well, in nature. Some things are entirely objective. I don't know the other artists. I don't know the other bands. Uh, I don't know the other yeah. songs, but I do know Rude, and I do know it was a great song, and I do know Appreciate one it, song of the year, and I do yeah. know that my five year old son rocked that thing as much as he could hey. in 2013. So all the way through 14 and 15 too. So uh, it's a great, great, great tune you guys put together there. That's great. You I'm know, I uh, I just wanted to say, man, uh, I know you're in town visiting family, and we don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I know we did a pre-show prior to this as well, and uh, man, I just want to say thank you for your time on this show today. You spent a tremendous amount yours, with us, spending a couple hours sharing your story, uh, giving advice. Um, you know, the, again, the thing I take away from this is, you know, there's always going to be someone in your life that can make a difference, and you know, clearly you found yours, and uh, I look forward to hearing from Gemini. And I look forward to hearing from the Bro Amigos and uh, what you guys are putting out there. I, I love the names and the project. It sounds like it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you got the right backing there, the right people in your corner. And uh, Charlie, man, we don't get to do many episodes together. So the fact that you're in on this one is, uh, is a, a special here. one as well. Yeah, thank you guys for, for letting me be part of it. And I also just want to say, Mark, you know, <clears throat> you're one of those examples uh, for whether it's seasoned musicians or new musicians, but that being a professional musician doesn't come with having a bad ego. You know, you are the proof to me that like you can make it in all sorts of ways in the musical world and still keep yourself in that place where music's just about music. You know, I so anyway, that, I love you, brother, and I, I really appreciate your I love time. You too, always. Man. I yeah. love you. And I'm gonna put Charlie Thanks, on the spot sir. here. I'm sure he might have already said this, but I'm gonna put him on the spot, and then he, he probably is gonna get mad at me afterwards here. But uh, I know Charlie's got this this song he's working on. 
And I'm hoping he sends it your way if he hasn't yet. Uh, it's something special that he's played for me numerous times, and I know I sent it to him. Yeah. I was, yeah. and I did. I, I sent it to him, and I said, "I need your help, Mark." <laughs> I'm so proud. Of, I'm so proud of what you're doing over here, Charlie. And I can't wait to see where that goes for you, brother. And All right. uh, well, yeah. glad Mark, you, Mark. Glad you, Mark, already connected on that. So, Mark, again, oh, yeah. thank you for your time. Thank you for being on the What's Your One More podcast. Thank where you can for our yours. Where can our listeners hear more from you? Do you have any social handles or a place you yeah, want to? Send well, them? I should say, yeah. I also have my own. Um, music available online too. I mean, I mentioned the other projects I'm in, but uh, oh, if you just so good. Mark change Kelly, me. Oh, love it. <laughs> thanks, bro. Yeah, Charlie likes the song called "You You Change Me." I got I got a whole bunch of them. I actually had a record deal with Sony China for a little bit, and uh, still releasing some songs in Mandarin too. So I got so like whole other thing there happening. But you can find me there. I'm Mark Pelly across all different. Um, platforms and stuff so yeah so it's all, it's all you've heard it there mark pelly on apple and on spotify check him out on youtube mark thanks so much for being here uh to listen so much, more man. to our show check us out on apple podcast uh check uh the check mark at the top follow us and also check us out on youtube when you subscribe and hear more from our episodes mark again thank you so much i'm honored to have you on the show you, charlie bro. as always brother thank you so much thank and, you, uh, just a great time all around mark thanks for being here thanks buddy i got one more shot i'm gonna make it one more chance, I'm gonna take it I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah